Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to This Pink Cloud. We are a show on recovery, uh, all uh, forms of recovery, I would say, M- uh, multiple pathways maybe even. Uh, but uh, I am DJ Kelly Reverb. Uh, sitting in with me to my left is Mr. Chad Lamont <laughs> running, running the boards. There we go. Yeah. I said do Dusty first, but that's totally cool. <laughs> you, didn't say, that. you didn't say do Dusty. I, di- I, I literally did. Okay. Did he say do Dusty? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, see, he said Whatever do everybody. You do. See, awesome. there we go. Thank so you, Stephanie. Work. Thank okay. you, Stephanie. <laughs> we just we just pulled out the challenge flag, and yeah. you lost, Chad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, sitting to my right, my good friend. It's been a while, dude. A long time. Um, yeah, but uh, LPC, LCDC, and uh, I usually make up a bunch of stuff, but I'll be nice today because we know your mom's watching. But <laughs> yeah. uh, the Vanilla Viking himself, the king of the north. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dusty Burroughs. That I missed it. And the all the bangs. All those <laughs> all the energy drinks. All the magnesium. Yeah, they <laughs> Dusty is high on magnesium today. That is <laughs> that is hilarious, dude, that your chiropractor gave you baggies. Of yes. magnesium. Yeah, you know. It doesn't look sketchy at all, Not dude. Not at all. Yeah. I just pray I don't get pulled over on the way home. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, as long as it's on the way home, dude, then, uh, you know, you have people out there that'll take yeah, care of you. People out there. <laughs> you know a good attorney, don't you? I do, actually. Yeah, it w- that was almost a good pitch throw to our uh, sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, but excited to have these young ladies in the house. Uh, This young lady on my left, uh, Lizzie Butler, is actually the founder and uh, CEO and all those alphabet letters uh, (laughs) that you want to put behind an owner of a sober living recovery place called silverliningsrecovery.org. Correct? (laughs) Did I get all that? You did, yeah. But I get to do all of the fun stuff for it. Nice, yeah, nice, nice. Me. And I love it because we actually have your mom in the, in the building, which is so cool because we never really get to do this on the show. We never really get to have the perspective of the person that put up with your shit. Oh, she put up with a lot of it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And so, I'm, I'm also the co-founder. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> there we go. And I'm on the board of directors. Uh-oh. Yeah. Chad, you board of directors. Yeah, I, I oh, just okay. you yeah, did it. you got it all. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> hey, but so normally what we do is we just have you kind of tell your story and then how you got to where your organization is and you know the fun stuff your organization does. But uh, before that, tell us about the uh, the car wreck that was happening prior to. 
Uh, yeah, so there was it was kind of one of those multiple accident kind of car wrecks. <laughs> um, it was a multiple car pile up. Yeah, yeah, no, I've been uh, pretty problematic for her since I was a young age. Okay. Um, substance abuse started in high school. Um, so I've been sober since May 23rd, 2017. Okay. Um, so been on the recovery journey for a little while. Um, so one thing about my story that I always like to tell people is that, so I... You know, because they talk about why people start using. Why is it that they form substance abuse issues, stuff like that? Um, I didn't have any big... I mean, my parents got divorced when I was young. Uh, there was some fights in the house with my mom. My, my stepdad wasn't the best guy. Um, but I didn't have any major... I had all the little traumas, not a lot of, like, big traumas. Right, the small um, T's. Yeah, they call them the little T's and yeah, the big T's. Right. Yeah, so I, I mean, I had some of those, and some of it I feel like as I came from a... You know, because there was some... There were some of those little teas, right? Like I just growing up didn't basically just didn't learn to adapt. I didn't learn the best coping skills. I acted out. I started self-harm as an early age because I couldn't pinpoint what it was. Well, now that's interesting because I, I actually have a family member that was doing self-harm as well. So, I mean, and that's a that's a huge factor. Why? I mean, why? Uh, you know, I always like to ask people, you know, the reason behind that with, with the self-harm. Yeah, so mine, um, there was self-harm. My first suicide attempt, I believe I was in eighth grade. Um, I was on Prozac by the time I was in eighth grade. Um, um, some of it was, so anytime I would self-harm, it was like those brief moments of where every, all of the chaos in my head and internally stopped for a second. Um, and it was, it was like, I just didn't, there was so much between I had anxiety, I had just internal chaos. And the thing is, it's like from those young ages, um, I, it's like, you don't know how to identify the feeling. You don't know how to identify what's wrong. You don't know. At that time, I didn't even know that what I was experiencing wasn't you know, for better lack of terms, normal. Right. You know, and it's like, mom, did you know this was going on the whole time? I mean, obviously maybe, but was she hiding it as well? She did a good job of hiding it. And what I always say is, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell a problem from just normal right. preteen angst. Sure. Right. You I know, get it. And, and, and she's naturally a little feisty. And so, you know, it was, was it was it was sometimes just hard to know and okay. um uh when counseling was suggested that was probably more mm, when she well no eighth ninth grade i don't know anyway the older she got the less receptive she ah, was i got gotcha. it because she didn't they didn't understand she didn't want them telling her what to do ah so, well of course who well, does and by, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. and by that time i had decided that how i was going to go about it was i was just and, and it's like I, you know i don't think i ever made a conscious decision that what i was doing was self-medicating that's uh -huh. just kind of what happened it was right. never like i specifically turned to substances to serve that purpose it was kind of like they were just introduced to me i noticed that they did something for me that i hadn't been able to find anything else that worked like that for me so i just ran with it you right. know and it's in like you don't know and then when you're at that point you don't really want to talk about it to your family because i think that combined with the normal preteen angst well and your mom is uncool at that point well yeah your yeah. parents are way uncool. well that's the other yeah. thing is, is i <laughs> I have no genetic factors for substance abuse. Uh -huh. It doesn't run. Neither my parents, nowhere in my family. So it just more um, really emphasized that whole, uh, you don't understand, you don't get it, you've never been through this. Like they, you know, neither one of them even compared to now neither like as of now they don't have tattoos they've never been to jail i don't even know if they have speeding tickets right you know and so mike so they have absolutely zero street cred exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And so it's, I think it was just, I, you know, and I've like really taken a look at some of this because I am a believer that, you know, what happens to us in childhood and early teen years forms us as an adult and that all that stuff. And so I've like taken a look at that. And I think it's just like, you know, there was never like a conscious knowing that like, I never thought, oh, I don't always feel emotionally safe or, oh, I don't always, there, there was never that like thought process. It was just how I had been functioning for a while. I didn't know how to, that's the, I didn't know how to identify anything. And even after I got sober I had a hard time being able to identify what which feeling was which and why did I it's because I started at a young age of not knowing like you don't know that you need to communicate those things sure yeah it's not it's never like talked about like like any of that stuff so I never knew that like any of the stuff I was feeling like I said either wasn't normal or needed to be talked about or I should tell anybody about and by the time probably I got old enough to realize it the self-medication and the numbing had already come into play. Right. So. I, I think maybe they need to start, like, looking at the school schedule and, like, uh, in seventh, eighth grade, they start it, just having, like, a, oh, second period is a, a psychiatry where mm-hmm. I go and see my therapist, <laughs> you know? Coping skills be, yeah, 101. Coping right. skills 101. Right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, I don't think you're ever really like specifically taught them yeah. unless you grow up in a household of someone who's a therapist or you've had to go to therapy at right. a young age or you know it's like that's never something that's ever or as a kid or a preteen you're ever like known that like hey life's gonna get a lot harder when you get older and you're gonna need these things like that's i don't think that's like a norm to be established or talked about oh no know? not at all yeah yeah <laughs> now mean, that i'm going to school to be a therapist my kid is screwed <laughs> <laughs> right. i try he like just turned 12 and so right. he definitely doesn't want because there's some stuff from my past that he's carrying and mom, he, mom knows i'm hiding bullshit yeah well, <laughs> right yeah there's that but like i see things and i'm trying to get him to talk about it and i'm uh, trying you know all that yeah. stuff and he's just not ready for it but so when he gets older he's gonna be <laughs> my daughter says don't talk to me in your counselor voice dad I'm like, I'm just <laughs> yeah no definitely in my terminology you can definitely tell is like from an educated level and it's my my how I deliver it. Yeah, all that. So, yeah. So, he's when he starts trying to pull some stuff when he gets older, he's going to be in for it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, so, okay. So, I mean, I mean, let's talk about where where it happened for you, like, as far as, you know, where you decided to make a change. Like, what was occurring? You know, did you have, like, one specific instance where you go, oh, this is just not right? Or was it all little T's? Um, so later in life, there was definitely some big T's that happened. Um, and some of that was due to the fact of that I chose to be in an environment where substance abuse was the norm. Um, I got involved in some stuff, like the best way to summarize it is to some extent, some organized crime. Um, (laughs) I I dabbled in organized crime. Yeah. I mean, you know, (laughs) just for the sake of trying to describe all of the different entities that were in there, um, it was, there was a lot of it. Another thing. What was the craziest? You would ask me that, wouldn't you? Uh, well, it d- depends on what your definition of the craziest was. Uh, what do you, um, well, your definition. What do you think? Just, just the, one. The time that, like, I still, I'll say the time that one of the one of the many instances that I still have flashbacks from is uh-huh. when uh, there was some people I was around who ran prostitutes, and there okay. was a time that I got a call to kind of try to come save one who was overdosing, and that was the first death rattle I ever heard. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fun. That's one that I get you yeah. know, some reoccurrences okay. from. And then there's like some other little ones. I like remember the exact time where I was that I had accepted the the doom and death of an alcohol an alcoholic a drug addict life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and that I was just going to live like that the rest of my life. Because the thing is, is like the people I was around, there was no going to treatment. Mm-hmm. There was no detox. There was no anything like you either went to prison or you died in it. 
Right. That was that was it. So it's not like I ever really had much hope or solution. And I like one thing too. I like to talk to people about is like so. My mom and I have not always gotten along. <laughs> surprise! Uh, wait, surprise. Well, when I was in, <laughs> when I was in high school, we fought quite a bit to the point to where I decided I was going to graduate a year early and move out at seventeen okay. because my dad always says that we are exactly alike where it hurts and we're completely different where it hurts. Ah. So um, we fought quite a bit just from being different people and me doing. I was sneaking out and doing you know my my deal. And sure. um, so I moved out at 17 and her and I didn't talk to each other for a few years after that. Um, so I always like to tell people that it's like even the damages that are done in the past. Like basically once I got sober and I took a look at myself and I did the inventory and all that stuff and realized that not everything was her fault. Like I used to right. tell myself that it was. Um, and I used to hold on to stuff that she did from when I was like 12 and I'm like in my 20s. And my dad's right. like, why can you not just let that go? And I'm like, I don't know, but I can't. Yeah. Right? So it's like I had to work through some stuff like that. And, you know, well, so that's an important part. I mean, t- working actually through that PTSD and, uh, you know, being able to process it and let it go mm-hmm. and just go, hey, there's nothing I can do, man. Uh, so the only thing as I can do is acknowledge it and then. Uh, move on you know or or deal with it yeah so i think it's interesting that we now run a business together basically (laughs) i I love it but so so you were okay so like let's say let's paint the picture so eighth ninth grade you start dabbling Mm -hmm. and then it gets more serious Mm -hmm. as high school's going on and then you're at the point where oh i want to move out early and oh yeah i thought i knew everything and 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 start my own enterprise Mm -hmm. she she had outgrown the little town that we lived in what what town was that oh can we say uh, yeah, you can say that. It was down. Gunner, Texas. Little Gunner, Texas. like you go north of Prosper, you hit Salina, you go north of there, you run into Gunner. And I was the one that like I think I've heard of it on uh, on the weather report. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's like, I like. Po- when I went to high school, their population was less than three thousand people, oh, and wow. I I was the one that anytime there was any type of m- petty crime that happened in that town, I was the first stop. <laughs> they went to you. <laughs> I was the first stop. Yeah, and, and I worked at the bank there in town, oh. so everyone knew me and. Her yeah. and then so that was right know, an interesting did you know bag. like the local deputy first first base's name like uh, uh, yeah. oh, chief of police sure yeah. and i'm still <laughs> friends with the mayor you know, so, <laughs> nice. um, but yeah so that was a little you know sure. awkward because there's a lady you're trusting with your money oh her, oh her, by the her, way you know. yeah but she she i i guess i didn't realize that she was like the first um mm-hmm. stop because right. there were certainly plenty of of other Oh yeah, I wasn't like were, the kingpin you know, of the town, but I was just I was just usually a good you first were not stop the, for You them. were not the don, you were like the right hand or Well, it right, was just right. they figured that if it wasn't me, I probably knew who it was yeah, exactly. because it was yeah. a friend of mine. Sure. Right? Gotcha. But you know, and people would say, "Hey, you know, we heard Lizzie was at this party or we heard that, you know, not and I'd ask her, you know, cuz I didn't have experience with this, and she uh assured me that was incorrect and there was a reason they were saying they, these false truths about oh yeah i learned and, uh, to master giving excuses that honestly probably didn't make a lot of sense but you weren't going to be able to prove it invalid <laughs> like those okay. those types of like i would maneuver my my responses or whatever to like maybe not really be super logical maybe i could believe that yeah. actually as a parent you're like mm, but i could find ways right. to explain it that there wasn't going to be any vouching she could do anywhere else to prove it one way or another so sure. I, got, I got really good at those well you're, nice. you're very well spoken you know so it, it, it it's those kind of charismatic people that can make other people 
believe basically um, anything. believe their bullshit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. And as, as a parent too, I'll say, you know, I, I wanted it to not be true. Oh right? yeah, of course. So. There's that part too. Yeah. Yeah, Stephanie, how were you coping with all this? Since you know, she already said that you didn't drink or do drugs. You know, had that history. So as a parent going through all this mess, how were you coping with it? Well, as best I could, and that's what I said. You know, I, I really didn't know much about um, or anything about addiction. I always thought drug addicts came from bad families. Oh, whatever, yeah. whatever bad family. Sure. Right? Good parentheses there. Bad family. Um, and I just knew it wasn't going to be us because, you know. And uh, and then all of a sudden I have a daughter who's a drug addict. And I thought, well, wait, wait, how has this happened? Because that's not, we aren't that kind of family, right? Mm. And so um, it's been, it was very humbling too. So I really, you know... <laughs> As a parent, we, you know, who do we turn to, right? I don't want to tell people what's going Mm -hmm. on. Um, And if I did know sympathetic people, you know, they have their own lives. So it was really hard. I was a single mom Mm -hmm. and uh, it was difficult. And when she, she talks about um, graduating year early, that's what I always said was I said, yeah, no, we, we didn't get along. And um, uh, I said, you know, so if she graduates from high school and we're both still alive and neither of us have gone to jail it's going to be a miracle and i said thank god she graduated a year early because i'm not sure we were going to get there oh wow so it was it was uh it was tough she didn't you know she was a little uh, opposed to rules and i, I was the mom terrible was, just say it i was terrible <laughs> it's okay. what's interesting to me yeah. that you were out you know causing a ruckus but also graduating early oh i, I had yes, a job yeah. i worked two jobs my junior year i paid because you have to like get approval because they lose money if you're not there so I had to like do all of that and I had to do some summer school classes and because like that's you know and I think that came into play later with the environments I ended up in it's like even when I'm not sober I can still uh, grind it out pretty it's like well. It's right. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah and I got awards in school I got you she know did. all she, that all that she stuff. was a cheerleader. Uh, nice. She was in the choir. I to look at her. Was, <laughs> I know, right? you know? Okay we'll get we'll get uh, cheerleader pictures and uh, put them in and post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I have one that I show people, and they always find it real funny. Um, but from your question about the basically instances that led to me getting sober, because it was uh-huh. like my years of using, uh, I got sober at 25, my years of using escalated. Like every, mm. And it was almost like by the types of drugs that changed, the types of environment that changed, the types of people that it changed, the types, and especially when I started graduating into a little bit heavier substances. Well, what was the graduation? You started off probably just alcohol, weed, and then... Uh, so it was, my initial start was weed and then um, hydrocodone and back when Loratabs were still around. Uh. Um, Xanax was was a constant for me the whole time because the thing was is like throughout especially from my experiences earlier on with the internal chaos and with the self-harm stuff and all of that I thought my main issues was mental health stuff mm. I thought it was just an issue with the way my brain worked with coping and whatever else and so that was kind of you know I would you know but what would happen is I would go to doctors about it psychiatrists and I would convince them that they needed to prescribe me both Xanax and Adderall right um, <laughs> you know and I'm I like <laughs> and I'm working at restaurant jobs uh, where you're going out drinking every night and also doing cocaine and i you know so that was a time period of where i knew i had a lot of fun but i don't remember a whole lot of it kind of thing right um because you know with someone with a substance abuse problem it's always best when i can get that substance with my name on the pill bottle Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. because then probation cops parents nobody can tell you you're not supposed to take it um but i didn't take it like i was supposed to um so it you know there was a lot of that and so for a while like i thought that was my problem but then it's like I graduated from, you know, the weed Xanax pain pills into ecstasy, into cocaine, especially when I moved out and I moved up to Sherman. Uh Grayson County is not the cleanest 
area right. as far sure. as drugs. De- the Shut king up. of the north will uh, uh, vouch yeah. for that. Yeah, so I, I moved up there and I started getting into cocaine and ecstasy and all that stuff. I had a problem with that on and off, like especially ecstasy for, I don't know how I used to do it, but I would take so much and stay up all night, go to work the next day and do it again. Like looking back, I'm like, no wonder my body's always tired now. Right. Um, the service industry, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. it was. And it <laughs> was, well, you just drink your way out of it. Is what I did. Yeah, that's why. Well, usually I would have weed and Xanax. Yeah, is, there you go. it would it would level me out. Yeah, exactly. I it would right right the ship. Yeah, and, what I, I say. and I always had issues with keeping jobs because I would get to a point where I would get too fucked up and decide that I just didn't need that job anymore and just wouldn't go. Right. Or I could tell I was about to get in trouble at work, <laughs> so I just would stop showing up. Sure. Uh, and in service industry, again, you can do that. I'm about to get fired, so I'm just not going to show. Yeah, because I would rather <laughs> okay. say I quit than I got fired. Right. So, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um. And then Living that. And well, no, and the thing is, is at that point in your life, you really don't have any accountability. Is, is the important thing because I noticed that in, in a, a family member of mine's life as well is they don't, you know, they have zero accountability. Why do you want to change? Well, and the thing is, is so I have a son who's now 12. Um, so I had him uh, right before I turned 19. So I still, you know, if you want to say I had him as some level of like why I wanted to change. But the thing was, is like there was just because I still was working, I still kept a roof over my head. I still did what I needed to with him. I just never identified it as a problem because at that point I was still for the most part functioning. Yep. Um, and so, you know, but then I ran into catching criminal charges and CPS getting involved and some other things. But even at that time, like the weird thing was, is for a good chunk of my life, it blew my mind how there were some people out there who didn't have criminal charges. Right. I'm like, how are there people out there who have followed every... Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, it's like my, <laughs> my perception of, like, reality, adulthood, this world was just not accurate. And I think it's because I decided at such a young age I was going to completely detach from any parental supervision, any parental suggestion. At 16, 17 years old, I thought I knew everything, and I ran with that. So, mm. like, at what point did I ever really give myself a chance to know what normal functioning adulthood looked right. like? Right, and your mom's got to be pulling her hair out at the say, whole time. Sure detach from parental whatever. no like <laughs> that's such a kind way to say no i mean like she was so defiant See, she's still good at like, no like she's still mental, good at it mom like that mental piece yeah. of like just my decision right to do right, that i know not reality but just i admit <laughs> that decision um but so in, in you know it's he was a main my son was a main motivating factor around the time that i did get sober but okay. like because again like i said the people i was around they didn't go to detox they didn't go to treatment they didn't you know it was there right. was no out and then but because of some of the actions that i did like one time so once i got into the graduated more towards the ghb meth heroin ballpark right um that really got a hold of me to the point to where i didn't want that accountability anymore mm. i didn't want anybody trying to tell me how often or how high i could get what responsibilities i had to fulfill anything like that right so, now, so at that time were you i mean okay a was it a planned pregnancy that you no. no okay so and then and then were you actively using and then your son you got you got pregnant and then you were like okay something's got to change or or how did that work so i mean as far as when i was pregnant i was able to i could weirdly like sometimes stop using substances when i knew there was an end date Ah, okay, yeah. So while I was pregnant, I stopped. A little nine-month goal, yeah. Every plan was made for the day I came home from the hospital, and some, especially because after you have a baby, they prescribe you pain pills. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's that. Um, And me and his dad actually split when he was about three months old. Okay. Because it was the type that I got pregnant very quickly, and that relationship would not have lasted as long as it did if it hadn't been for so much of it that I was pregnant. Right. Um, 
because we met because we did the same drugs with the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, even though like after CPS getting involved and I was just wrapped up in it, a lot of delusion. Um, and so even with CPS getting involved, stuff like that, I never really decided to make a change until because like when I got into that GHP meth heroin world, I decided one day I just wasn't going to pick him back up from his dad. And I disappeared from him and my family and everyone for a long amount of time. Phone was shut off. Email was shut off like I was gone. How long did you go MIA? Uh, all around total, it was probably nine or ten months. I re- oh, wow. I resurfaced. Holy crap. I re- Where'd you go? Uh, <laughs> in that underground world that a lot of normal people don't know exists in ah. Dallas of selling drugs and running Chad, prostitutes. And Chad knows it. Oh, yeah. Chad, I knew you, it really well. Chad used to live well, I mean, there. Like, it's called Northwest <laughs> Highway. Exactly. Northwest <laughs> Highway. Yes. <laughs> the gated hotel yeah. and the Motel 6s oh, and oh, the Royal Inn. Yes. Well, it, let's let's just say any hotel that says super before like a single or double digit number is really not that super. You yeah. Know what I also, mean? a lot of the, a lot of the hotels off of um, in Addison off Beltline mm-hmm. oh, over yeah. in there. Are we and just we're giving all the shady places like a Yelp mm-hmm. review here? Well, I mean, because <laughs> let me let me rephrase what I said. The normal right. functioning members of society sure. doesn't know it exists. Right. Um, but it's there's a lot, and it was like, and at that time, I'm not sleeping for three weeks at a time. I'm not eating for three weeks at a time. So mm-hmm. kick in even more delusion about reality mm. and like the hopelessness. And two, so then the fact that I didn't go pick him back up from his dad, all that shame and guilt wrapped up in there from knowing the harm I'm causing to my parents and to everybody else them not knowing where i am all that stuff that reinforced me continuing to use because i i didn't want to have to mom at this time when she's mia for nine months you've got to be scared out of your mind right thank you for asking let's hear it so her son i don't know if she said this or not but he was in kindergarten Uh right and so it was october and uh she and i were already kind of at odds because there'd be periods where it'd be you know it'd be all right and we were a little bit odds at the time um and so what week on week off with the child and so she just didn't show up one time back up to pick him up from his dad where they met and he's calling her dad and me going hey we're she's just running late what's happening here and we're like what do you mean she didn't pick him up because sure no and she was living with her dad at the time and so anyway we didn't we didn't know so yeah so here we don't know if something's happened to her or whatever. So I think, uh, I don't know, uh, sometime after that, um, her dad did hear from her. So we at least knew she was alive. But um, he, in fact, had looked on the um, uh, toll tag because mm-hmm. he called, you know, he, oh, he yeah, couldn't yeah, report yeah, yeah. the car, car stolen. It was in his name, but, you know, he'd given her permission to use it. So you couldn't, I kept saying, call the repo guy. He right. doesn't care. He will pick it up $350 and you got the car back. And yeah. she's not so smart anymore, is right. she? But he uh, he said, no, I hate the idea of her being out on the street with no way to get mm-hmm. around. So you can see we had two, well, different, at least we you had could two t- different philosophies I was gonna say, on how at least we should address it. You yeah. could actually tell that she was still alive by the toll tag. Right. Yeah, he would so watch he, to see so what area. Good. He registered yeah. that. And yeah. he said, or at least we hope it's Lizzie driving the car. True. We don't yeah. We don't know. And so really, you, you lived your life thinking perhaps the next phone call you got was going to be the police saying, the hey, more, we found yeah, your daughter yeah. dead. And she's been there a week, but none of the other addicts would call. Right. And so I'm so that's how it felt it was horrible wow, man. it was horrible that's gotta so be she'd heavy show up and and for a day or two she contacted well, let me dad. clarify that usually yeah. what would happen is i got arrested 
Ah. Or I was stranded her somewhere. Car and was so, impounded. Yeah, yeah. Something something would happen that I could not get myself out of. So then the phone call would dead end right. to happen. Yeah. So gotcha. bail me out of jail. Come pick me up from here. Get my car out of impound. Mm-hmm. Anything like that. And, right. so th- and then I, like she's saying, I would resurface for a day or two because usually I would just sleep and eat. And then once, because I've been awake <laughs> for so long. Maybe wash your clothes. Yeah. yeah. And then I was gone again. Wow. Yeah, at her dad's. Did you so. find that after a while it just gets so dark and becomes almost comfortable? Yeah, I was, and I had also fallen in love just as much with that darkness, with that lifestyle. I had worked, here's the thing, I worked so hard to get as miserable as I got. I, because I'm a female and the the people I was around, it was mostly guys. It's, you know, so I also had to learn to shut off all emotions in me. I had to learn like a lot of things. That's what I'm saying. I worked really hard because I was also proud of my ranking and all that delusional shit and whatever, that drug mm. addict ego. And, but it was like, I had got, I almost had loved the, the feeling feeling like you know the queen of the south kind of like thing. <laughs> yeah. and it was it was like that tight and so i had fallen I, I when i got sober i had to mourn that aspect just as and like come to terms with that aspect just as much because that was like a pleasure like i had and it it was it, it's very twisted mm-hmm. yeah i could see that yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and so as far as that's a great question that you ask us and as far as just a parent goes we eventually have to just pull back you know we still miss them we still love them yeah otherwise you know man you were just it it hurts all the time and um uh so yeah so that was what it was like for me is i finally just had to just take a step did you back. find any way or try to maybe uh, you know, have some uh, somebody to talk to to deal with this while it's going on, or any way to process it for you. Well, so what I was talking about my significant other. So he had um, a past where he had he was a functioning drug addict, mm-hmm. is what we said. You know, okay. and so and he he got clean on his own, and you know, he so um, but he'd been clean and sober for I guess twenty. He's, he's years, what he's you know? what us in, in twelve step programs called a hard user. Gotcha. But anyway, he led a pretty wild lifestyle for about 10 years um, or, or more. So mm-hmm. so he helped me understand. He'd be like, something's not right. right. She's doing this. She's telling right. you that she, you know, I... he was always pointing out. So it was, um, he said at one time that he said, I always kind of thought maybe God had brought you and me together so that I could help Lizzie. And he said, I later realized he brought us together so I could help you. Oh, um, wow. So, um, but yeah, no, I didn't because I didn't know. I didn't know. And yeah. so I try to be that for people now. Um, moms who reach out to me and say, hey, you know, this is going on with my with my child. And um, or at least a, a sounding board or a listening ear. You know, I'm certainly mm-hmm. not qualified to do anything. But or like Lizzie says, I'm uniquely qualified. Right? Yeah, sure. That's, what I, yeah. that's what I say. Kind of her role in it is I'm uniquely qualified with the drug addict themselves. She's uniquely qualified with the parent of them. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right, because her, sure. her story, you know, is is the oh my gosh, you know, she can get clean and sober. I can because right. I'm not that bad. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah for yeah. sure. Well, okay. So you're out. You're out doing disappearing for nine to ten months, mm-hmm. and is there finally like one last arrest that uh, that so there was changes? Okay. I'm gonna. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Sure. Um, because what what I, okay, I talked about me, but here's her son, right? Her yeah. kindergarten son, who his mom who he adores just didn't show up and he keeps saying where's my mom where's my mom and Uh, and what what can a five-year-old understand right he he doesn't yeah you know and you you just don't even know what to say to him right and so um uh so what would would you say 
Well, we we said well we said we don't know for a long right. time. Well, and then, unfortunately, his dad told him that I was missing, and I don't think uh, they thought at the time what that internally does to a five year old. Yeah. You just told them their mom is missing, and that's right. what he knows for about the next two right. years. Yeah, I didn't know if you would just go. Oh, he, she's on vacation. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, he, you know, because. He, he knew he wasn't going to her house anymore, and he missed her so much. Right. And, and, uh, and he, he calls me Fifi, and he'd say, Fifi, he's kindergarten, right? Uh-huh. Fifi, do you know where my mama is? Oh. I talk about, if you, if you ever wonder what a knife to the heart feels like, that's oh, yeah. what it feels like. And I would be like, no, baby, I, I, I don't. And he'd be yeah. like, Fifi, why are you crying? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not crying. My eyes are watering. You know, and, um, right. but that, that was the hard part was for him is he just didn't know. And then one time he said, on the whole missing thing because what what do you say I mean, i'm sure whatever we said was wrong but you know that was all we had was uh he wanted to one time ask me if we could make posters and put her picture Aww. on it and put them on telephone pole, pole like so anybody could yeah see if anybody oh, saw wow. her they you know he's trying to figure out how to get his mom back sure so it was um so i'm sorry i wanted to tell that story no too, i think I that's mine, very important we yeah. had again we had why i'm trying well. to get him into therapy right. Right, there, understood. right understood yeah. Right. understood so, yeah. yeah i just wanted to yeah so the, so to answer your question that big moment so um last time i got arrested was you know, in Addison off Beltline and the Tollway, um, in a hotel parking lot, middle of the day. Um, so some of those people I had gotten involved with were people who um, were really good f- friends, I guess, with like the FBI. <laughs> you had to think about um, that. Well, I was like, how do you word that correctly? So they, they were just they were just really known with the FBI, and I mm-hmm. guess they had been um, looking for them, and uh, they somebody spotted them somewhere, and uh, so a call came in, and they, like we pull into this hotel parking lot, and four cop cars come rolling in deep, right, lights mm-hmm. on everything everything um so you know obviously i go to jail that day um and it was one of those where it was a combination of a few things so it was my first stint in dallas county i've been in collin county denton county dallas county dallas Mm. county is by far the worst you know Um, (laughs) now you're speaking my language (laughs) yeah yeah, you know um but it was one of those that you know because of like that darkness and all of that that like i had been because you know also all of that plus not sleeping plus like i'm five foot ten and i weighed 102 pounds i had like nothing but bone i was mm. so the combination of the also the sleep deprivation what that did to my brain plus a lot of meth use at that point i was just using meth to just keep going there was right. no more getting high at that point it was like meth maintenance right um and so i don't think i would have ever willingly left because i was so wrapped up in it all i didn't i didn't know there was another way to do anything um so luckily divine intervention of carrollton city police department um very divine yeah yeah <laughs> and so i end up in dallas county and i'm there for a couple of weeks and it takes me a little while to because i'm physically detoxing off heroin mentally off meth and sleep deprivation so it takes me a little bit to fully like really realize where i was and that i wasn't going anywhere and all of that so i call my dad um and another big thing that changed is my dad finally talked to somebody who said stop getting her out uh, um, because my dad always uh, says he grew up in a household where you fix everything in-house. Right. Uh, you don't talk to other people about it. You know, and like my mom said, it's like, who do you talk to? What do you say? Sure. Um, so somebody finally said, like, identified him as the enabler. And right. the, mm. somebody besides me yeah. said yeah. that to him. Okay. Yeah, it Clarify was, that. It was, I kept saying it. Because he finally talked to people about it. Right. And so somebody was like, stop saving her. Stop bringing her home. Stop. Because my dad's the type that he can figure out a solution to most things. He's always been financially well off. So he can, you know, he can handle handle right. what he wants to. I was the one thing he could never figure out. Mm. Um, and so uh, he he, fi- he told me, he basically grounded me to Dallas County. And yeah. he said, the only way I'm getting you out is if you go to treatment. Um, and at that point, I was like, 
just get me the fuck out of here. Right. You know, like yeah, at I'll least, do anything. At least right. in treatment, yeah. they're going to have better food, real mattresses. I'm also not going to be drinking the same water that comes out of the toilet. Yeah. You know, all that sure. stuff. Um, so I ended up in treatment and um, he picked me up from jail. We had to go to Walmart to replace basically everything I owned. Right. And then I was in treatment the same day. Um, and like at that point, you know, it, it's, during that few weeks in Dallas County, I looked around and I had been removed a long enough time to be clear-minded enough to look around and be like, you know, I don't want to be one of those women who knows how to sit and do time. Mm-hmm. This isn't right. what I wanted for myself when I was a little girl. Uh, sure. All that kind of stuff. So at that point, like, I was kind of excited about treatment. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know, but I was excited for the opportunity to do something different. For a possibility of a change. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I get there, and they were a 12-step facility. Um, I get handed a big book and a step one packet, and I start reading that big book, and I it was able to put things into words for me that I was never able to. Right. Like the cycle and the doctor's opinion. It's amazing how the... Uh, 1939 right. words still yeah. resonate uh, We are today. like men yeah. who have lost their legs. I read that. I said, oh, you got to be kidding me, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, they were like, have you read Chad's the big book before? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chad's of course. And then I finally read it and I come out of my room. They're like, you read it, didn't you? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And see, in it, it talks about like the resentment piece. And like, so I identified uh, why it was with stuff with my mom that I could never let go of. And like, I could just see that cycle so many times in my life that like physical allergy of the phenomenon of like that whole thing. I was like, um, I was so like fired up because I was like, there's finally some like there's basically I learned there's other people like me. I learned mm-hmm. that there's other, right. Yeah, like, you're, it's that's like a big epiphany that everybody always has. It's like that's my story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just because for a long time, like I, I just didn't know that there was a way out. Because like I said, there wasn't people I knew who got sober. There wasn't people I knew, you know. And so like the people who also worked there, who had used drugs like I had, who had been not even just used drugs like I had. My biggest thing was is they were internally as miserable as I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's externals can look different, but that same internal just like doom hopelessness had like all of that I identified with and I was like well if they you know and so um you know it was a 30-day facility I uh, mm-hmm. worked all 12 steps there and then when I was in there though they asked me uh they were like you're gonna do sober living after this and I looked at them and I was like why the fuck would I go anywhere like here after right. this? <laughs> like <laughs> sure. no yeah um and then like I thought about it and you know one thing that is kind of a a double-edged sword that I have is I'm a pretty self-aware individual. So it's mm-hmm. like good and it's also terrible oh, yeah. sometimes. Um, so I like knew myself well enough to know if I don't go somewhere after here, what's going to happen is I'm going to go home. I know I'm a creature of habit. I like what's comfortable. I like what's familiar. All the wrong things. Mm-hmm. So um, where I went to treatment was a little bit outside of Waco. I don't think it's open anymore, but I decided to go to sober living in Austin because uh, okay. I like I knew I had to do. And my biggest thing is I'm like, I think aftercare is is almost more important mm-hmm. than the inpatient because like you can teach somebody all of these things, but it's like and baby deer with their legs. It's like they don't really know how to implement it. Plus all of the, you know, all of the things you have to face that you severely damage. It's like you're out of that bubble now. Right. So and when life creeps back up, you need somebody to be able mm-hmm. to kind of like hold you up. Like yeah, you so were they're saying. like, they're like, I tell people, I'm like, sober livers are kind of like bumper rails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because things yeah. happen. Also, you're learning to cope with emotions. You're also having to deal with like, <laughs> it's like, a, it's, it's like a healthy a, way. To, it's a healthy environment to be in dealing. Sober with living is like a walker. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, it's one of those things that I think, um, I for- completely forgot. What well, I was no, gonna I was going to say like the people, no people, you know, it's good to be in sober living because it, you know, you surround yourself with people that are in maybe the same problem that you're having or can at least relate. And 
the good thing about it is they can call you on your bullshit too. Yep. Yeah. And you learn you learn to like hold others accountable while you're there too. Mm-hmm. And, and then because you, you, you point out yep. behaviors in other people and then you realize that you see them in yourself. I can take yep. your I can take your inventory great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Biologically thirty days isn't a lot of time. No, you know? no, it's yeah. not. Especially with I think I was you know, last time I went to treatment, I think I was high for the first two weeks because I was on so mm-hmm. many drugs going in so really what can i accomplish in two weeks you know? yeah and so, it's you know, they so talk the about care piece i think is far more important than the 30-day treatment and your brain chemicals are still trying mm-hmm. to regulate how you think and it's like because basically getting sober in, in in whatever form you do it it's essentially asking you to live life completely different than you have been for however long mm-hmm. and so it's like that like time in a bubble where they're teaching you the things it's like okay that's great and that's good but when you leave here and you're having to actually deal with life on life's terms and you have have to go back into knowing how to be a functioning member of society again and like doing i've seen i was in sober living with some women who had never even mopped before you know it's like there's some real basic stuff and like yeah just that that because i think all substance abuse users kind of also suffer sometimes from that failure to launch right oh yeah, yeah. failure to launch yeah that's important Absolutely. but uh before we get to because i want to talk about your organization and what mm-hmm. you do uh real quick we got to hit our advertisers uh first advertiser is uh lone star injury attorneys and that is as for max the axe <laughs> shout out uh, if you go to thispinklawyer.com, it will route you to uh, their actual uh, website, which is Lone Star Injury Attorneys. Uh, they practice in uh, Texas and California, and he will get the maximum results for you. And And he's a good dude, right, Chad? Max is a very good dude. Super cool guy. He's kind of helping me out with some stuff right now. So I like it. And it's not even in his field. He just, right. He went out of his way to. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he'll like, he, he's like finding me an entertainment lawyer. As well. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, good dude. Uh, and also, we've got NeuroGlow, uh, and that's N E U R O G L O W dot com. And they're actually in McKinney and Flower Mound. Uh, they are a ketamine infusion <laughs> therapy. Shout out ketamine. Shout out ketamine therapy. Shout out NeuroGlow. <laughs> there you go. Dusty's actually actually been to NeuroGlow, right? Yeah, I did all six sessions there, which is their uh, protocol for uh-huh. uh, ketamine infusion therapy. It was a big game changer for me, my mental health. Right. Well, we're gonna do so an episode. We're gonna highly recommend. We're gonna do an episode it. on on that. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, you would vouch for it as a LPC and LCDC. Yeah. The benefits of yeah, it, right? It's, some of the NeuroGlow clients actually come to me for therapy, so I get to hear firsthand accounts of how ketamine therapies change their life in right. the process of therapy too. So it's pretty exciting. Cool. Well, there you go. So NeuroGlow.com and Flower Mound and uh, McKinney. So anyway, hit them up uh, if you're looking for that uh, treatment that might be, uh, you know, or if you're treatment resistant, I would say. It's really good for addiction. It's really good for treatment resistant depression as well. There we go. All right. Lovely. Now, so your organization, SilverLiningsRecovery.org. Tell us about it. Tell us what inspired you to do it and tell us like what services you offer and all the good stuff. Okay. So as far as the inspiration piece, so um, when I went to Sober Living in Austin, I saw like, so the Austin recovery community is saturated, like a lot of like good sober livings, good treatment centers, outpatient meetings, like the recovery community is huge. You know, it's insane down there. And so when I moved back up here and I noticed that there's not as many 
structured, supportive, sober living environments for women. Mm. Um, there's like a few of them, you know, but it's like as far as the number of them and two, when I was doing some discharge stuff for a facility that I worked for up here, um, I just saw that like there's not as many options. Um, and so my mom and I had been talking about it for a little while about opening one. And then one day we were like, well, are we going to do it or not kind of thing? Um, and so we decided to do it. Um, we opened it up. And so as far as, and we call it, so I always tell people this, the reason why we call it silver linings is because my mom likes to always tell people that basically I found a silver lining in a, some pretty bad situations mm-hmm. um, as far as like now wanting to try to help people from, because I made that decision like shortly after treatment. I was like, I'm going to use my experience to try to help people instead of sitting in that like constant morbid reflection, self-pity, just sure. like living in that, like I'm going to Well, you're uniquely qualified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... Um, so we just so that's kind of the reason for the name. Um, mm-hmm. We're also a five hundred one c three nonprofit. Okay. Uh, reason why we do that is because uh, we like to do fundraisers and stuff like that. So that way we have the option to obviously we want to grow, um, but also so that way we have the opportunity if needed to sometimes offer scholarships, partial scholarships, stuff like that to women. Cause like the thing is, is usually by the time people are walking into sober living, unless they have family support, they're usually not financially killing it. Yeah. Right. So, well, so y'all are, y'all are a sober living facility for women. Mm-hmm. And then you offer, uh, do y'all do any kind of IOP or do you so, have any kind of, no, I'd rather not deal with insurance companies. Right. Um, <laughs> so we just work with, there there's a few facilities that, um, you refer have, to. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and it's, you know, either that or like therapy, I'm real big on like, them continuing that like working through stuff and the mental health thing stuff like that um so yeah we have just for right now the one house in plano we've been open since july of 2021 mm-hmm. um so coming up on two years nice congratulations um, thank you yeah um yeah and so as far as kind of like what we do so we are strongly modeled around 12-step program simply mm-hmm. just because that's how i got sober that's what i know so that's just what i teach sure um and so and you know the thing that we also do that's a little different is you know my mom's invo- involvement there's not many out there that have right well i know i love the mother-daughter aspect of it because you know i mean you can talk to the parents because the parent mm-hmm. it's the parents or the the you know the significant other that brings that person in half the time and then you can relate to that part and go yeah Absolutely. yeah it, this this is going to be a good fit <laughs> you know yeah or that we've also right. had a few women in the house that they relapse or for some reason or another they had right. to leave uh and so she's had like lunch or dinner with them and the moms mm-hmm. um and like talk them through because their daughter's using again and they're having all those same fears and whatever come up and so she's able to be there to relate on what that's like sure um we actually have like because of what we do and how we operate like i think it's interesting like cool that we have people like family supporters even though their loved one was asked to leave our house right um i think that's kind of cool it helps tell me that we're doing something that we should because we're also real big on family involvement because i know that it's like you can be showing up one way in the house telling family something different like that whole piece Mm -hmm. um but we're like so i tell people i'm like we're structured and we're we have a good amount of accountability accountability to us but we're not to the like suffocating level best way best way to explain it is we just really hold their feet to the fire around like doing basic recovery one-on-one stuff so going to meetings meeting with their sponsor meditation uh being of service 
uh, after they've been there so long, we want them out doing H and I's and carrying the message, uh, home groups, group conscience, like sure. all of just the basic stuff that regardless of where you live, uh-huh. it's required of you to do if you want to have the well, same Dusty experience. was also mentioned uh, a little something about Matt earlier. Yeah, a question uh, and a comment. First of all, because, you know, you have this opioid use disorder mm-hmm. history and you mentioned that y'all were supportive of Matt treatment and your organization. Tell us why um, that's important to you to be able to offer that and support that for people out there. Yeah, so we do. Um, it's a big case by case thing, obviously. Obviously, there's some details that I want to know in like their their medication assisted treatment use, um, like why they're on it, how long they've been on it. How, and my big thing is how long do they want to be on it for? And I'm hoping that they're not just using it as their sole way of getting and staying sober. Um, but the biggest reason why we are willing to work with that is because when it comes to people on whether it's suboxone subutex method whatever it is that there's not many structured and supportive sober living environments that will take them so Mm -hmm. it's like the unfortunate thing is is there are some but a vast majority is like no you have to be on it for x amount of days you can't be on it while you're here whatever else and and my thing is is i'm like there's so many facilities these days who are putting them on mat and doctors who are telling them you have to be on it so there's those first time treatment goers who are told you have to so they're gonna do it you know some people don't know what all's going on and then there's other people who do have long-term um opiate or opioid use disorders who need it um and so Mm -hmm. it's it's like if they don't you know it's like what other options do they have then you know it's like there's oxford which that's fine but like for a lot of people they need more structure and support initially sure so it's like my my thing is is i'm like i don't want to basically tell them no because you're on this that you can't get the same type of supportive services that all of these other well and and like you said you mentioned oxford house uh oxford house is kind of like uh and it's not a bad thing it's a kind of a crapshoot what house you get yeah whereas if they go to you then they actually have like a structure and they know what they're getting yeah and i tell people when like because i get calls from a lot of people who have been to oxford before and don't mm. want to do it again because they have had a bad experience because sure. it is ran like a democracy and there's no right. like, and it's regulating a, or authority. or it's like one of the 12-step meetings that uh you know hey this is full of like uh people uh that are not like me at all mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah i say that sometimes those are good steps for after they've been in environments like ours right like a step uh, down mm-hmm. yeah. yeah because they don't have uh, near as much accountability and rules and people holding right. their feet. It's kind of like a bunch of sober roommates living together who yeah. all just vote on stuff. So it's right. just, it's set up differently. Sure, for sure. Well, and I know you do something fun. Uh, you were talking about fundraisers. Yes. Yeah, so um, our big thing that we do annually for our fundraising is we do a murder mystery dinner theater. Okay. Um, so my mom has been in theater for how many years? Long time. Long, probably, right. long, probably longer than I've, I've been alive. I've been in right, the theater right. a lifetime. Yeah. So she's um, <laughs> like, she's real involved in McKinney Repertoire Theater and stuff okay. like that. And so she kind of, that's her area of expertise. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so what we do is we have, we do it once a year. Our next one is coming up. I believe it's May 6th. It's the first Saturday in May. Okay. Um, and so what we do is we, we do it a little different. Some murder mystery dinners, you, you, they like pull people from the audience to be in it. Well, mm-hmm. what we do different is we hold auditions ahead of time and we have the auditions be for people in the recovery community. Gotcha. So mo- like in our last one, we had, I think two people with theater experience. Mm-hmm. All of the other ones, uh, were just in it just to be a part of and do something fun. Um, 
and they loved it. They did great. They thrived. It was live. It was I live. Mean, Chad was. It there. was live. Yeah, that's it, it, one of the one of the great instances of using the word live. It was really. <laughs> it live. was live. It was li- good. Well, it was literally live. Well, it was cool to see like some of them who have been sober for a long time who had never done anything like this before learn right. that they love doing it. Like even after we did our big one, we had to do a smaller one after because so many people. And that's the one I went to, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, we did the smaller one after, and then even after that, they went and did it at like an assisted living sure. place because they just wanted to keep doing it. Right. Um, well, no, I mean, I love it because you discover things like that are outside your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. And like when you're when you're sober, you're like, okay, well, life in general is uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but then uh, let's you know push the boundaries and and see what we can do. I will say one thing though, that was 100% in Jeff Rigdon's comfort zone. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like like without he was a doubt. Natural. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Natural. Oh yeah, because luckily I have a couple. And friends. Cooper too. Yeah. Cooper was because oh, yeah. Cooper's one of the ones that's been to school for it. So he you know we had him be Frank Sinatra and he sang and then and we he had, sings opera and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was great. He's but yet, so Jeff being one of them, I just fortunately have a few friends who are very witty mm-hmm. and can, so they do well in environment. It's like using their talents for something in mm-hmm. a theatrical setting, right. like no, being very good at like impromptu and like flair and sure. you know, all that kind of stuff. So no, they, they, it's very entertaining to like watch everyone we had that came. They were like, this was great. Cause too, it's like, it's a good show, but it's cool that it's like recovery community but it's like so we're having auditions the end of february and so anybody in recovery is welcome to come audition and the okay. thing is, is it's and, like and i want to give the uh what is it silver linings recovery.org yes. correct yes and it should be below her name if you're watching us on the youtubes i yeah screwed that up oh did you yeah i put dot <laughs> com let me fix it it's, while we're sitting here. well it's dot org yeah um and then uh, uh so and then also they can find out more about the organization right and yeah yeah yeah, so we, especially if anyone's interested about organization, about the event that we're doing, anything like that, you can also follow us on Facebook, Silver Lining Sober Living. Mm-hmm. We post a lot of stuff on there. Okay. Um, is that th- is that your main format or Instagram or is it so we use mainly Inst- Facebook? We use Instagram as well, but the main one is Facebook. Okay. Um, we also post it on our website, um, stuff like that about where it is and the time and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anybody, you know, if... Even we have like facilities sponsor it. We even have people who are not in the substance use field sponsor it, sure. stuff like that. Because um, again, like I said, it's a fundraiser. So it's a right. fundraiser. We're trying to do something fun, but it still help us be able to provide. Like I talked about those scholarships and any updates in the you, house. You're putting the you're putting the fun and fund raisers. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yep. Sorry, that was a dad joke, and I'm not even a dad. And it, but it is it is really fun too, because yeah. like I've been to a bunch of murder mysteries. My mom, she. She had a tea company, you know, tea and mystery is what it was called, like where she sold mystery books and she would cater all these little mysteries and stuff. And y'all's was way cooler than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's my mom. Y'all, I'm saying that. Y'all about. Kick, yeah. y'all kick Shout my, out Sheila. But y'all, theirs y'all, was cooler. Y'all kicked my mom's ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in one of your mom's productions where she was doing a fundraiser for nice. Uh, really? Wheels. Worlds yeah. are yeah. worlds are colliding. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, well, so any anything uh, you had to wrap up or, uh, you know, before we get going because I know these young ladies have to uh, hit lunch. Well again, happy birthday and thank, thank you. you for supporting Harm Reduction um, because it's not real big here in Texas and so um, little by little with people coming on board uh, being involved in the industry, opening organizations and supporting Harm Reduction I think we're going to save a lot of lives doing that as opposed to the traditional way we used to do things. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, That's all I got. All right, bud. And then, uh, Chad, I just want to say how awesome it is to have you guys on the show. But 
how awesome it is to have somebody else with a gnarly story. Mm. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, come yeah, on yeah. here, because most <laughs> of the people that come on here, you know, they got they got stories or whatever, and then. Well, like, I was going to say, y'all's y'all story yeah, very is similar. Uh, very similar, except the fact that you weren't a cheerleader. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that we know of. Uh, that we know <laughs> of. That's, yeah. I was, see, there's, there's that quick wit she was there talking about. Go. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, and, and it's amazing to see like what you're doing now, you know, and it's all based on, it's, it's experience based. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You take, you take and pick and choose from what worked for you and what you didn't like about something and then you make it your own. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I mean... That's recovery evolution at its finest. Mm. So I think that's awesome what you guys are doing. And it's like I said, it's awesome to have somebody of the opposite sex that has such a gnarly story on the show because there's other people you can reach that normal people, normal people that got sober can't reach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's another view that I had is I'm like, there's not as mm, there's not as many women out there that share some of the same history that I do. Yeah. The same gnarliness as I do. The, the same deep, dark <laughs> demons. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. Uh, and then I also like to give the guest uh, at this point a time to shout out to whoever they'd like. So oh. whoever would like to go first. I was completely unprepared for that. So Lizzie, <laughs> Lizzie, uh, shout out to my dad for the chaos he has that's what I did. And the kiddo. And Landon, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> And then uh what are what are they? who I don't, what kind All of right. people are we supposed to each other? Shout yeah. out to my mom. <laughs> yeah. Well and also too one of the things that I had not experienced before was how authentic the recovery community is. Oh, you yeah. Know? It, we'll, we'll tell you I how it is. I live in polite yeah. society. And, For sure. and it's like, oh, really? Wow, you're cheating on your wife? God, bet she's terrible. Right. You know, because you don't want to, you know, we say <laughs> the stupidest things, right? right? And and Lizzie's told me some of the stuff, you know, you, you say to them what they not what they want to hear, but what right. they need to hear. Yeah. And, yeah. and in polite society, we just kind of you know have sure yeah um, boundaries yeah right right so that's that's i guess just what i'd like to say yeah i was told i've told women many times i'm like i care more about your life than i do your feelings Right? Right. Yeah. For like sure. It. That needs to be a shirt for silver linings. Right. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys coming out, or you young ladies coming out. And uh, that is silverliningsrecovery.org. Uh, yes, uh, I changed the name tags. Good job. I'm so dude. sorry. Good I'm job. I got one more, Better one more late thing, than Kelly. Never. Well, we'll put that we'll uh, in the description, we'll put the correct. Yeah, and it will, we'll we'll state that I screwed it up. Yeah, and we'll I'll take make sure everybody knows in this one. Anything so I don't that goes wrong is Chad's fault. <laughs> yeah, Chad's right, fault. Exactly. I want to plug Recovery Dharma real quick. Too. Oh, go ahead, dude. Yeah, I forgot yeah. all about this. Big shout out to the Recovery Dharma Sangha uh, from Dallas and Plano. We got two locations, one song, Sangha, and that's uh, Wednesday at 7, Friday at 7.30, and our Sober Basics community, too. Sober Basics on Facebook. Nice. Hey, and then uh, next week we have uh, my good buddy Keith McKenzie. He is a big uh, touring DJ type guy. Uh, He's going to be on the show. It's going to be a great story. He's been sober for six years now. Uh, Obviously, if you're listening to us, follow us on the YouTube. Uh, We're also on all other major streaming platforms. Uh, Instagram. We're trying to grow that. The Instagram's growing, dude. Yeah, and and uh, I've I've finally convinced Kelly to to start posting stuff on YouTube Shorts. Well, it no, took, no, it no. only took long enough, and then like well, within, the, within the two hours, it had two thousand views. I could only got across into TikTok. Oh, uh, yeah. well, no, it actually 
Tick. Fuck TikTok. But yeah. <laughs> just do like the little Instagram reels. That's yeah. what we're doing. That's what yeah, we're, we're doing. That. Yeah. So the Instagram reels, then I take and it now he's and got a put it phone. on the YouTube shorts. And now I'm not in 2015. He, anymore, he had an iPhone so. 7. Now, yeah. now you're so. in, the, in, the, in the future with the rest of exactly, us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're going to be flying Chinese space balloons <laughs> in no time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate everybody coming out. Hey, and remember, guys, there is no magic pill for sobriety because because if there was, we would all take too many.